Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Today, we're welcoming Anne Bickley. She is the um, author of The Hidden Half of Nature, The Microbial Roots of Life and Health. She is a biologist who investigates and writes about connections between people, plants, food, health, and the environment. And last week, we spoke to her husband, David Montgomery, about his book, Growing a Revolution. So, um, Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. Um, I, I was, I th- I'm sure you know, I was excited to speak with David. I, I love the books that you guys have, have written. Um, they're, you know, very, um, there's a lot of information that we all need to know, but they're also very beautifully written, which I think helps when, when people need to make these changes and to understand this, wh- what's happening and, and everything, that it's an easy read and, and a beautiful read as well. Yeah, well, that's part of our whole mission in writing is we want to convey information in ways that people actually want to read the information. And if, we are, if we've really succeeded, uh, maybe we will have changed some minds um, along the way. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, so with, with your book, The Hidden Half of Nature, what, what inspired you, at, and I know David helped you with this, what inspired you to put this together? Yeah, it was, uh, it, it's funny, you don't necessarily, well, in our case, we had not really planned on, on writing a book together, and we certainly hadn't planned that um, that our garden that we put in um, shortly after we bought our house in Seattle would be a way to kick off the book. But but indeed, that is what has happened. And what really sort of inspired the book is that we, when we first bought our house, if if and this is a. a we're in the middle of Seattle. We're not on acres and acres. It's just a modest, average-sized city lot. And if a yard could be bereft and no soul and lonely and sad, that was our yard when we bought this house. It's basic problem in my eyes. I, you know, as as a biologist and as a, at the time a, a budding gardener, it was just it was just plain ugly. It lacked everything, but mostly what it lacked, Rebecca, was life. And we were sort of caught in a, a bad time when we put the garden in through a series of mishaps, uh, miscommunications, that kind of thing that always happens with any sort of project. We were in the middle of August trying to put a garden in, and that's when we also came up just face-to-face with our soil, and it was in terrible shape. Uh, in part, there had been uh, really nothing had ever been done to um, keep the soil alive uh, by the previous owners of the house. And here I am, we've got a bunch of potted plants, you know, h- hundreds of, of plants in pots that need to get into the ground. They've already been in the pots way too long. And it's the middle of August, and it's very hot, and 
that's where we were. And digging into the soil, it had very little organic matter. In Seattle, we have a glacial history. So there were a lot of rocks in our soil. And one of the first things that we noticed after all these plants went in is that they were sucking down water like there was no tomorrow. And that was a huge concern just from the point of standpoint of conservation. So that was when I began doing what I call my organic matter chronicles. And I set about uh, collecting every kind of organic matter that I could that was close by and cheap or free. And so we put the plants in in August. And by that, you know, October, November, I was pretty much going around to the neighbors and getting all the leaves from their trees that had fallen and that they didn't really want to rake up. So they were happy to have me come over, rake them up. And so between uh, the leaves from neighbors, um, between we live in a town that's chock full of coffee grounds, which are another source of organic matter that I relied upon, and wood chips from arborists, I, I began to make mulches, what I basically consider to be food for the life of the soil. And every season, every growing season since then, I am brewing and stewing up mulches of organic matter to feed the life of the soil. And as we began to see changes in the soil, it, it led us into a whole other sort of parallel universe. If you think about soil, uh, I often call it, it's the gut of the earth, because this is the part of the earth that is consuming and processing and cycling all of these nutrients in organic matter, and that makes it somewhat analogous to our gut. And so it was seeing the parallels between the soil, between the human body, and also a a health challenge of my own that these were all sort of a combination of factors that inspired this book. Well, and I I loved the description of of when you first dug into the soil because you'd bought this house and you were all excited. And and like you said, it was middle of summer, so it's a little late to plant, but that's when you get the house. And both of you, as as you say in the book, should have known better because you didn't check the soil and you dig into (laughs) it and realize in that moment, uh uh-oh, this is um, not what we want, Um, which I think most people may not necessarily understand that. Maybe a lot of gardeners do, but um, can you just describe to us what the soil looked like when it was what you called dead? Yeah. It was, color-wise, picture something kind of like a cross between a pair of khaki pants and beach sand. So we're, we're talking that sort of vague uh, group of colors, you know, taupes and beiges and light tans. It was, it was, it was about that color. And when you picked it up in your hand and you tried, you'd squeeze your hand together and the soil really just sort of, it, it wouldn't hold a ball. It had no structure to it. It, it might have clung to itself, you know, for maybe a, a few seconds, but then it would sort of slowly um, fall apart. And so it had, by that color, we knew hardly any organic matter. And by the structure, we knew... This was, of course, later, after we had done a bunch of research for the hidden half of nature. Later we realized how important certain kinds of of microbes are, fungi in particular, to lending um, structure to the soil. And 
Yeah, so it was it was the color and it was the texture, and as we describe in the book, uh, there's a a layer that's a lot like concrete that many Seattleites uh, have encountered. It's called glacial till, and you hit it oh anywhere from maybe six to eight to ten inches down. So it's the sort of thing where the shovel the shovel hits it. And you hear this, you know, this clunk or this ting, and you think, oh, I'll go, you know, move the shovel over and dig in another location, and the same thing happens. And it's because glacial till can be, you know, completely beneath, um, you know, a good part of, of a lot in Seattle. So that was the other thing that we faced. We certainly couldn't, like, pick that up or, or see it, and it was not at all feasible to think that we were going to somehow cart all of this awful soil off of our lot and bring in something new. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned as a gardener is if you give soil half a chance, if you if you begin to understand what the needs of the soil are and you start adopting practices that support the soil, it can make um, a fine comeback on its own. And so... That's sort of how I think about things now in the garden is that I'm not, um, I'm not bringing like bags and boxes of things that I've purchased at, um, at a hardware store or nursery or something like that into the garden. Mostly what I still continue to bring in is, um, well, I don't even do this anymore because our garden's mature enough that it's generating enough organic matter on its own that... I'm mostly moving that organic matter around, managing it, mixing it up with some other things, and then sort of reallocating it. Because we now have, you know, in the end, we ended up planting 20-some trees. A good number of those are deciduous. And so I've got pockets of my own leaves in the fall, and they're one of the, one of the sort of basics for my, for my mulch mixes is all of these fallen leaves. So it's... I really do sort of think of the soil um, as this big, at times anyway, you know, this big gaping mouth that is leading, leading to uh, trillions and trillions of microorganisms, which if they could speak would say, hey, don't forget about us. We're down here living in the soil, and we're what makes the soil work. And because we're living organisms, we need to be fed, and we love organic matter. So, um, with, with all these organisms and, and the, the fungi, um, what is the importance of having those in our soil? So, what do we need those for? Yeah. I'll, I'll give a couple of specifics. Um, well, basically, anything, you know, we're, we're familiar with the larger forms of soil life, earthworms and beetles and things like that. And then you get down to um, the microscopic level, and of course we can't see those things, but it includes fungi and bacteria. So if you, you picture um, a leaf or a wood chip, some piece of organic matter that is on a garden bed, the processing, that there's nutrients bound up in that organic matter, and a plant cannot access those things on its own. And so millions and millions of years ago, in fact, actually long before flowering plants even existed, um, the botanical world struck up symbiotic relationships with microorganisms in the soil, whereby the plant would uh, produce 
certain things that these microorganisms could not get in the soil, and it was it was uh, things called plant exudates, and these are like carbohydrates and fats and proteins for the microorganisms in the soil. So the plant would feed the microorganisms, and the microorganisms then they increase in numbers, and they get down to doing their business, which is processing, breaking down all of this organic matter. So the larger forms of soil life, they actually are involved in the physical deconstruction of, say, a wood chip. They're, they're, I call them often the chewers and chompers. They're breaking this stuff apart. And then as it moves through the food web, all of the other organisms and creatures in the soil, it finally gets down to the microbial level. And everyone's doing their part in the soil to break this down and cycle nutrients back uh, to the plant. So it's the microorganisms that are the main consumers of, uh, of, of those exudates that are flowing out of a plant's roots. And so when they get those, they will in turn give plants things that they need. And so it's estimated, for example, that up to 40% of the phosphorus that a plant takes into its green body is comes from the activities of fungi that are helping to release phosphorus that's just sitting there in the soil that a, a plant otherwise um, just can't access. And the other really, really interesting thing that a lot of this new research is revealing is that um, uh, Microorganisms, especially bacteria, as they're consuming not only the plant exudates, but also the, the, the smallest, smallest, smallest pieces, molecules and compounds of organic matter, they're just like any other organism. And so they excrete metabolites after they've consumed these things. And these metabolites, which are erroneously called waste products because they're really not uh, waste products at all, some of these metabolites are things like plant growth promoting hormones. So these byproducts of microbes are like these plant growth promoting hormones taken back up by the plant through its roots. And so you, what you have then is this, this cycle, this, this symbiotic um, relationship between the plant and the life of the soil where they're each feeding each other. And it's, it's the way in which plants get a good number of the nutrients that they need to grow, you know, everything like a leaf to a flower to a piece of fruit to wood and so on. Um, well, it, it sounds like it's a, a, a beautiful relationship. And I know from your book, you describe how how much you feed all of that. There's there's one um, comment in what David wrote, where he says he realized that the ground was higher than your deck. <laughs> <laughs> and and because it, it was there was so much more dirt and, and life in it, um, I'm sure the microbes and all that that they make are taking up space. So I, I yeah I was laughing like like you are that um, you know you, you just kept feeding it and feeding it until it was wow. it was going to take over. It seems yeah it's sort of like this. It's sort of like if you picture a conveyor belt that that 
is, is on the surface and you load that up with organic matter and then you imagine that conveyor belt is actually going beneath the surface, you know, underneath your feet where all of that stuff is getting consumed and then on the, on the return trip on the conveyor belt, you know, plants grab the nutrients off of that conveyor belt that they need that the microbes have helped supply, and then that conveyor belt comes back up to the surface, and it's empty, so to speak. And so that, that's, what, that's what, for all of these past years, um, is, is both a wonderful thing to witness. It's a little frustrating as a gardener because it, it seems like, oh, my gosh, this is just endless. And in a way, in a way it is, but that's okay because... Through you know constantly feeding the soil, I'm feeding the microbes, and the microbes are feeding the plants. And what all that means is that these these plants are getting the nutrients and the compounds and the molecules that I think a lot of other other gardeners and even farmers, I'm sure as Dave talked about, they're they're compensating for all of that biology by buying products. And so those other products are fertilizers, um, herbicides, pesticides, I mean, you name it. Anyone can walk into a nursery or a big box sort of hardware store and you see the shelves lined with these things. And if you, sometimes those things are useful. You've got large-scale agriculture. We're trying to feed people. But there's also a way to let the biology of the soil uh, work and function like it's supposed to. And that that can do a lot for the green body of a plant to keep it to keep it healthy and thriving. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to talk about that more when we get back. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Anne Bigley, and she is the author of The Hidden Half of Nature. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives. But most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. As we move into our 40s and 50s, the elements of age catch up with us just a bit. Many of us have had children, which brings some of their own aging elements. Health issues come and go, but they always seem to come more frequently. Our bodies start responding a little differently than they have in the past. Listen for the High Energy Hour with Donna Guinois. We'll help you understand the changes and how to keep your health in top shape as you age gracefully. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Anne Beclay. She is the co-author of The Hidden Half of Nature. So, um, Anne, well, um, you, you were kind of touching on before the, before the break about uh, pesticides and, and the damage that they're doing. And I know that in your book, you do an overlap with, with pesticides and also antibiotics. And that's a lot of what your, your book is about is the overlap of, you know, this the beautiful nature that we have as well as, as our own health and the similarities between the two. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. Uh, if our, our bodies, and I, anybody who's a gardener out there, anyone who's grown a plant, raised a child, a puppy, a kitten, we all have seen instances where we do things that support the growth, the health, and the development of another living being or creature, and you see what the positive results can be. And then maybe say with in the garden, if there's an area that um, that I've gone kind of light on the mulch with, say, or I see a plant that's that's ailing, and I, I have uh, a compost um, tea concoction, and maybe I've sort of fallen down on the on the applying the compost tea, and I'll see a problem arise, and so you sort of have to ask yourself. Well, what's the origin of this problem? Is is my you know is this is it me or is it this other thing? And I think you know eight nine times out of ten, there's some something's lacking in terms of how it is that we support these other living creatures and beings. Whether it's the microbiome in the soil or the microbiome in the gut, and I'll just take, say, you know, you had mentioned, you know, both pesticides and antibiotics. These are both really, they're very powerful, very powerful, and they can kill a lot of life. And if you have, and there's there's a double-edged sword here, right? Because if you have some dread infection and it is progressing, that's not something that you want to keep um, allowing to progress, right? Because that can become a, a big threat to one's health. But at the same time, um, you got We've got to realize those antibiotics. They're going to take out. We hope anyway. Um, you know the target microorganism, but they're also taking out potentially um, a, a person's. You know, there's a hit that the person's microbiome is taking, and so. I think one of the things that we we should be doing in medical practice is taking into account what some of these standard practices are in terms of how they're affecting the microbiome. And so, for example, I think that, you know, if a person's prescribed antibiotics to deal with some kind of an infection, they probably should also be prescribing 
probiotic. So a probiotic is just a live, beneficial organism that we know is uh, beneficial in some way to the human body. And and likewise in the soil, in a farm or a garden, if you have an, a, a bad, bad outbreak break of some kind of a pest, then sure, maybe you want to do occasional pesticide, herbicide, whatever. But if you start using those things day in, day out, you're probably killing off a good deal of the plant microbiome. If you're not killing it off, you're probably altering it to the point where it's not really functioning properly. And and what we know about microbiomes, both the botanical world and the human world, is that we are absolutely coated and swathed in microbes inside in both you know inside our bodies and outside of our bodies. And it goes the same way for plants. So the the other interesting thing is that the lion's share of the plant microbiome is in the soil right around the root system because there's this a huge area of information exchange and chemical exchanges. A lot of the things I talked in the, about in the earlier episode, these plant exudates are uh, a big part of, of a properly functioning root microbiome. And in our gut, there's a, a similar thing going on where we've got most of our microbiome is in our gut. And I always like to just remind people, you know, sometimes you see this picture of a stomach and and uh, images or icons of bacteria there. That's not really where most of our microbiome is. It's not at all in the stomach. Most of it is clear down at the very end of our digestive tract in the colon. This is where... Um, Micro or our, most of our microbiome lives is in our colon, and it needs the same kind of care and feeding as the microbiome of the soil. And what what a lot of this microbiome research is is discovering, both in the plant world and the human world, is that when you when you feed a microbiome with its preferred uh, preferred kinds of foods, it functions really well. And it affects many other systems um, in the plant body or in the human body. So you talk about, we talked about earlier about how you fed your garden. And then I know in your book you talk about um, people's, um, their their own microbiome changes according to what they eat. There was a study done and people that ate, you know, vegetarian, the microbiome changed to break down that, which is really interesting that we can also change that really easily and, and feed that because there's a lot of, I think, under people believe that it's very difficult to change that um, and that it takes years and you've got this permanent damage and, and it doesn't, it, if you do it properly, it doesn't seem like that's the case. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty interesting. It, 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 again, it parallels some things that are going on in the soil. And so these, these, these organisms, um, these organisms, organisms need, need to eat and they need to be fed if they're going to, do all of the things that they do. So what we know about the human microbiome, that, that, that largest portion that's sitting down there in our colon, is that they thrive on poorly digested, very poorly digested vegetable matter is what I'll call it. So plant foods. And the, 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 the main problem with the Western diet is that 
here we are, the human being, um, whether we're in our kitchen or a restaurant or in the workplace or whatever, we're just surrounded by this food environment that is full of processed, either processed foods or foods really high in sugar, that sort of thing. And we pull those foods into our body, and the problem is that they do not make it down to the colon. They're, they're broken down and absorbed into our body by the lower reaches of the, of the small intestine. And so what that means then for where the trillions of members of your microbiome live, which is below that, that they're sitting there going, hey, wait a minute. You've fed every other, you know, everybody else in the digestive tract except for us. And so what ends up happening is that the microbiome becomes, um, you could call it hungry, it becomes malnourished, and it, what it means is that our microbiome sort of starts to fall down on the job of um, communicating with our immune system, producing a good number of compounds and molecules that various other parts of our body are relying on to function. So the the... The whole, if, if a doctor had ever, ever explained all of this to me about diet and why um, whole plant foods, which I'll just say for these purposes, it's somewhat synonymous with fiber. If a doctor had ever told me why that was so important to make sure that you're eating an abundance of fiber, I probably would have changed my diet long before I did because that's really what the microbiome feasts on is, is fiber. So these are foods that... We, we do not have the genome to break down all of the plant foods in our diet. And so what I mean by that is our genes do not code for the enzymes that break down many, many different kinds of whole plant foods. So there they go, these plant foods. They're broken down somewhat by some of our enzymes, but by the time they reach the upper part of the colon, there's still a lot of nutrition left in these plant foods, and that's where our microbiome comes into play because they bring uh, they bring uh, way more genes into our genome than we have. We have about twenty three thousand um, protein coding genes that we each got from our mom and our dad. We add, you add the, the genes of the, the bacteria and the fungi and other members of the microbiome, and it's estimated that the total human genome is somewhere around 4 million more genes. So what this tells us is that our microbiome can make just about any enzyme with its genes to break down all of these undigested plant foods that land in our colon. And when they... When they're presented then with these these basically nutrient packets, um, they feast on those things and they feed on those things. And just like the bacteria in the soil, they're excreting a, 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 a vast array of compounds and molecules. And it turns out a number of those are, it's turning out um, pretty critical to our health. We don't know, it's probably going to be a long time, if, if ever, that we fully you know, catalog and understand what all of these compounds and molecules are, plus what it is that they're doing. But we know 
for for starters, for example, um, there's serotonin, which is a, a neurotransmitter, and we know that in in the situation where there's a, a fully functioning microbiome, that the members of our microbiome, when they're well fed, they're in communication with endocrine cells that are part of our gut wall, and they stimulate our endocrine cells to make serotonin. And this neurotransmitter is, uh, it's what affects our mood. It's why we're happy or why we're sad. And among other things, and about 90%, it's estimated, of the serotonin that's circulating in our body is made in the gut, either because bacteria have stimulated the endocrine cells to make it, where it then travels from the gut up to the brain, or in some cases, it's even thought that bacteria themselves, certain kinds or communities, can manufacture serotonin. So here we are with these microorganisms living in our gut that are basically, I often call it, our our onboard medicine chest. Because here we are um, with this incredible genomic potential sitting down there in our colon, and if we feed it all of the things that it thrives on, we can get a lot of um, a lot of compounds and molecules that have you know drug-like effects on us, good beneficial drug-like effects, I guess I would add. So that's where, again, sort of thinking about plants and the garden and the soil, it's it's about supporting what the biology has. Um, we know that it functions this way. It, 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 it's been through a long, 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 long periods of time of evolution, and that's why and how it's come to function in the ways that it does. And so if you, you can either sort of, you know, the, the listeners are going to know, you know, this is my bias, <laughs> that mm-hmm. supporting and working with the biology gets us just as far, if not further, in many cases than interfering with the biology and trying to compensate for or replace biology with other things. And I, that, that's not to say that, you know, in our modern world that we should not, no one should take drugs or no farmer or gardener should ever use anything. But what it is to say is to just be aware of what, what the potential is to support and work with the biology versus instantly and having it be sort of the go-to response to grab something, you know, off of a shelf or a box or a, a product of some sort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, your your book definitely walks us through how beautiful that is, and we're going to talk about that more um, when we get back. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Anne Bickley. She is the co-author of The Hidden Half of Nature. We'll be back shortly. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you tired of the healthcare system only treating your symptoms and never addressing the root cause? Discover how integrative medicine can resolve health issues through dietary and lifestyle changes and the use of natural supplements. Increase your energy, memory, mood, immune system, sexuality, and more. Join Dr. Sunil Pai and Maureen Sutton to help you take back your health. 
with natural, evidence-based solutions. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Anne Bickley. She is the co-author of The Hidden Half of Nature. Now, now Anne, we're, we're going to talk about your health journey because I think that's what opened, um, you know, your and David's eyes about what um, it, what's going on and, and bringing this tie together between human health and soil health. But one thing I found really interesting in your book um, was you, you had these two pie charts and it showed, you know, in the 1900s, um, early 1900s people died more of infections and of course now we have antibiotics and there's way less of that happening but what we now have is an increase in chronic illness which is which is very interesting especially in this conversation when we're talking about microbiome and how important that is for our health and soil health um, to to you know make us thrive and have less inflammation right yeah yeah it's um the more we learn about the microbiome, the human microbiome, and what it takes to both care for it and um, care for it along the life journey, because your micro, a person's microbiome changes over time. Um, an infant's microbiome is very different than an 80-year-old's microbiome. And mostly what I think is one of the most fascinating aspects of the microbiome is how it interacts with our immune system. So my health challenge was that I was diagnosed with um, a cancer. And interestingly, it it was cervical cancer. And that happens to be, um, there's a handful of cancers that are associated with, with microorganisms, where if you have, if you test positive for a microorganism, um, so HPV is the virus that's associated with cervical cancer. Um, it's considered a risk factor, high risk factor. And when this, I'm, I'm now, you know, happy to say that stage of my life is behind me, but we were about halfway through writing the book when this all occurred, and it made me ask a lot of questions about health, about what is the foundation for our health? How has my ch- health changed over my lifetime? How has 
um, you know, the human, how has humanity's health changed over, you know, the trajectory of, of our evolution? And so you mentioned those pie charts. And what's very interesting to, to me, not just, not just me, but I mean, people who are deep into the, researching these kinds of things is we, infections are, are uh, like you had mentioned, they used to be sort of the, some of the chief causes of early death. Antibiotics, clean water, vaccines, um, more hygienic lifestyle took care of many of those infections, at least in the more affluent and developed parts of the, of the world. But at the same time, you can look at graphs that show all these infectious diseases coming down in the post-war years. So this would be you know, from the mid to late 40s forward. But then there's an uptick in all these other kinds of diseases, the so-called chronic diseases. So that's going to be something like asthma, type 1 diabetes, uh, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, on and on. We, we're all, I think, somewhat familiar with these kinds of diseases. The big question is why. Why in our modern lives when we're supposed to be living longer and healthier, why are we getting these chronic diseases? So this, this was of great interest to me because I, after having cancer, I think this is probably true for a lot of people or any major health challenge, you wonder, what can I do different? What can I do to better protect and promote and support my health? And so that's when learning about how our microbiome works and learning about how it essentially starting very, very early in life, our microbiome is communicating and sort of teaching and and modulating how our immune system responds to things. So that could be anything from uh, a protein that's in a certain food, uh, say that's peanuts, and you want your microbiome to communicate to the immune system, hey, that's an okay protein. There's no need for an allergic reaction here. Just, you know, damp down, step back, step down. And in my case, I wondered why my immune system had not caught the cancer because that's another job of the immune system is it's supposed to recognize harmful microorganisms. And... Something happened. I, I will never know what, but the, the virus uh, escaped um, the detection of my immune system, and that turned, you know, one abnormal cell became more and more. And so really where, where I landed with all of this is, okay, going forward, what can I do to best protect my microbiome? Because I want it operating in tip-top shape so that it can do all of these things that it's supposed to do. Make the serotonin. Communicate with my immune system. Turns out the microbiome, back to this chronic disease thing, um, interactions between the microbiome when they're all working properly is part of how we modulate inflammation throughout our bodies. And so if there's a perturbation or a disruption or say you're missing members of your microbiome altogether, what that means is that the immune system is probably not getting the proper cues and information about how uh, certain systems or conditions in the body 
you know, they're really okay, but the immune system, because it doesn't have information from the microbiome, it instead starts to attack things. And that's where what we know about many of these modern-day chronic diseases is that there's usually some kind of imbalance or something's gone a bit haywire with inflammation. And inflammation is really a double-edged sword because when you do have an infection, say, or you have uh, cancer cells that are starting, the immune system, specific cells, T cells, um, that's their job. They go and they, they, they attack those cancer cells, they attack that infectious organism, and they take it out. The problem solved, inflammation subsides back down to a normal level. So... When you get an inflammatory disorder, though, the immune system is just sort of running amok, um, not to the point where you're, we're all running around with fevers day in, day out, but it's a low level of inflammation that is probably happening um, such that uh, a, a person's not really aware of it until there's damage to some kind of tissue or organ. So basically where, where I... What I decided to do was, after learning that most of my microbiome is in the colon, that what they thrive on are whole plant foods is, Dave was not all that thrilled when I announced, I'm changing our diet. We're going to be feeding our microbiome from now on. I don't, I don't you know. think he had a choice if you were the gardener. <laughs> yeah. I think he, he was stuck with whatever you were going to grow. <laughs> yeah. So... And it's not as though we were huge junk food eaters at all. It was more that I think we were just not eating an abundance of plant foods. And so the way, the way I often talk about it is, I mean, we're not pushing like vegan or vegetarian or paleo or this or that because the one really cool thing about the human body and human evolution is that we are absolute omnivores. And our bodies are able to digest and a, a wide, wide variety of different foods. And so I think all you need to do is look around the world to all of these different cultures, say from the Inuit, that are really, really big eaters of uh, marine mammals, both the meat and the fat. And then you look at, say, an indigenous Amazonian person and they're eating right there's they're not eating seals and whale blubber and things they've got a completely different diet and so what we know about our species is we can eat a wide variety of things but what has happened in i think the western world is we first of all we haven't known much about our microbiome until recently we haven't known what the impacts are of nourishing it or not nourishing it and and we've been led to believe through the media, through all kinds of things that, you know, if we just sort of throw out, quote, the bad foods and start eating, quote, the right foods, you know, everything will be okay. And I think it's the other thing to realize about your microbiome, you don't just have like two or three different species down there. You've got the estimate is somewhere around a thousand. And each of these organisms thrives on um, different things. So that's why we want a diversity of food, of foods in our diet, because you want to keep alive as many different of your, you know, indigenous microbes um, as you can, because they're all 
they're they're all part of this education um, and communication force that's that's dealing with and in constant contact with our immune system. So I like to eat a diverse diet. We but the one thing that I really strive for is every day at least one and hopefully two on a good day three um, three meals where there's you know at least half of that is is plant foods and whole plant foods so I'm not talking potato chips or you know <laughs> what that, potato any, chips any that don't count <laughs> yeah we're talking fruits and vegetables and whole grains okay yeah and so when when you did this for yourself what changes did you see I um I I it, it it's funny that you don't know that you're feeling uh, how to say this you know when you're feeling better when you feel it and it makes you realize wow I was walking around kind of fatigued in the mornings because in my case I would tend to skip breakfast because I'm just not all that hungry first thing when I wake up in the morning but as a result I would like mid-morning uh, I would reach for something like a scone which is a refined carbohydrate that's a simple sugar that's not getting down to my microbiome that's that's putting you know sugar into my bloodstream pretty quickly and it works for a couple hours and then there's another big crash and so mm-hmm. I realized that that kind of my cycle of, of like coffee and a scone in the morning oh that's why I have no energy in the afternoon that's why I'm kind of you know my mental my mental energy is not good in the afternoon because I haven't fed the microbiome that's going to keep me going throughout the day um, so I I started I think just to feel better all around, um, more alert. Uh, I, I I think that's how I would characterize it. I wasn't mm-hmm. a person who had um, something like leaky gut or big big issues at all with my digestive tract. I've just been I think fortunate to be endowed with a you know. A, no problems in that in that area, except that um, you know I wasn't really paying attention to my microbiome, and that allowed my immune system, I think, to kind of fall short on nabbing the cancer cells. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it's just like that, and the same analogy of of your earth being dead. You know, your body was, well, your microbiome was in that same situation as mm-hmm. your garden was, and now both of them are are thriving. Yeah, right, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and we saw. You know, I sometimes sum it up. You know, we do talks and and. Uh, we, I usually sum it up, you know, we've been through a lot of information, you know, we've gone all these depths of the root microbiome and this fascinating area around the roots called the rhizosphere where there's all of this symbiotic action and we've got this version of a rhizosphere in our gut and what does this all mean? And it really comes down to something pretty simple if you're looking to... Um, nourish and care for the microbiome that's then going to be taking care of the plant body or the human body, it comes down to these just six simple words, and it's mulch your soil inside and out. 
because mm-hmm. when when you do that, it's feeding it's feeding life that gives you life, right? Yes. The life the life that makes your life. So that that to me as a biologist too is just you know just fascinating because we're these nested. We always think, oh yeah, well we're just our human bodies. And oh no 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 no! There there are so many uh, nests of life embedded within our human body that it's it's fascinating to learn about them and mm-hmm. um, what we can do better. Well, um, you know, and and your your book goes into a lot of detail about that. So if anybody's intrigued, how can they get a hold of you or your book or find more information? Yeah, we are. Um, our website is dig, the number two, and then grow, digtogrow.com. And their uh, readers, listeners, people who are interested can get a sense of the three books that we call the Dirt Trilogy. And the hidden half is the middle book of the trilogy. And you don't need to read these. It's not like Lord of the Rings where you're going to miss out on a big part <laughs> of the story. But the middle book, the hidden half, is really an explanation of the science behind how soil works, how our bodies work, and why they're two very parallel systems. And it's a mix of history and memoir, and there's some absolutely fascinating stuff um, in the history of of microbiology and human health that's in that book um, as well. So dig the number two grow.com. And then we're pretty active on um, social media, Twitter in particular, where our handle is at, again, dig to grow, D-I-G, the number two, and then grow. And um, we're a li- little bit different on Facebook. Um, we're dig to grow books there. Okay. Uh, but people can hook up with us in, in any one of those ways. And we're actually, I'm not sure if Dave mentioned it, we're at work on um, sort of a, what we consider a capstone volume to the hidden half of nature. And believe it or not, you write this trilogy, you know, write, think about, uh, talk about for 10 years this trilogy of books, and we're like, ah, there's sort of one thing we haven't really gone into in depth that really des- deserves a book-level treatment, and that is linking soil health to human health. And by that, we don't mean things like, ooh, stay away from toxic soils. It's more taking a look at how this whole part of nature that is in the soil, that is in communication with our crops, what what is that doing to the nutrient levels in our crops, and are those... Are those nutrients where they should be, where they used to be, and how is that propagating into um, the food system, both plant foods and animal foods, and how is that propagating into our health, and what, is this, what does this all mean? So, um, so stay tuned for that. We don't, we don't have a firm um, title on that yet. It's something, you know, the idea is that we should really be able to harvest health from the soil because when the soil is healthy so so and i'm gonna we have, are. To, we have to end this show um but we you know we'll we'll definitely look out for that book and if anybody wants more information to find you at dig to grow i want to thank you so much for joining me today thank you yeah, I loved it so much. Um, if anybody wants more information about my story or what I went through, you can find me at dr-risk.com. I want to thank you so much for listening today. Just be sure to make today a great day. 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 